welcome to the SureDog Radio Network and the Schillen and Duffy Show preview for Bellator 255, Pitbull versus Sanchez 2. It takes place this Friday at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, Connecticut. It represents a pretty big deal for the promotion. It is Bellator's first card of 2021. It is the first card on their new broadcast deal with a newly signed broadcast partner, Showtime, and it is the final semifinal of their ongoing featherweight grand prix in which patricio pitbull freire and emmanuel sanchez will fight for the right to appear in the final opposite young phenom aj mckee who has already sewn up the opposite side of the bracket i am your host ben duffy of uh, suredog.com with me as always is keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network and the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network. He is a creator for numerous shows for uh, SureDog, including MMA, Past, Present, and Future, and, of course, the Shillin' and Duffy Show. But for these previews, I take over the captain's chair, and I get to welcome him on board. Keith, how are you doing this evening? I'm excellent, man. Uh, I'm actually excited for this Bellator card. Uh, we have a week off in the UFC, but... I think I think the Bellator card is going to deliver. I'm excited for the main event. I feel like we've been waiting forever for this featherweight tournament to finish up, and we're getting a little bit closer. We are, and it's you know you mentioned that the UFC is off this week. That means between this Friday and next Saturday, when the UFC is back uh, on, there will be two Bellator cards. There's Bellator 255 this weekend, or you know this week, which will give us a final for the featherweight grand prix and then next friday bellator 256 will kick off the light heavyweight grand prix it feels to me like a pretty smart move on bellator's part to take advantage of okay this is the first week that the ufc's off let's just put out let's put our best foot forward let's you know let's debut the broad the new broadcast deal let's remind people that we've got the featherweight grand prix going on which i mean this is their best fighter front and center and then starting off the light heavyweight Grand Prix, which features most of the rest of their 10 best fighters and a lot of people that will be familiar names to UFC fans. Does it feel like a smart move to you? Yeah. So I, I don't know if they did it on purpose or this just happened this way. Uh, but if they did decide to do this on purpose, yeah, I think actually think it's a very smart move. Uh, you know, getting, getting the network out there first time on Showtime, you know, get, having starting off, you know, you finish coming close to finishing one tournament kicking off the next tournament. I, I root for Bellator. Like I know a lot of people like to shit on them and they don't make, you know, they don't make every right decision, but the, the more organizations, the top organizations, the ones that are acting, you know, professionally, the highest level, I want them to succeed. So like, I hope this, I hope this showtime deal goes fantastic for them. I completely agree. I, it's interesting. I was thinking about that today because I, you know, as well as you, you and I have both been fans of this sport long enough to remember when the UFC was not even undisputedly the number one promotion in the world. And while, you know, Pride was great, a lot of my earliest, most favorite memories of falling in love with MMA happened in that brightly lit white ring. We are so spoiled since I'd say, I'm certainly 2007 since the acquisition of Pride, definitely by, you know, 2010 once uh 
you know, strike force was folded in, in that the UFC has the lion's share of the, you know, the top fighters in the sport. And so we almost never get a fight that doesn't happen that could. Sure. We, we don't spend everybody's prime wondering if Vanderlei or Chuck was better, how yeah, Fedor yeah. would do against Randy. We don't have that anymore. No, for the most part. I mean, you have, the most a, you have a couple of guys. Now, when I say I'm rooting for Bellator, I still would love, and, and this is not good for the fighters, And but ultimately if there was one monopoly where there was no other organizations, there was just one major one, and we had UFC five days a week instead of one day a week, and every single fighter, all the best fighters from one championship, all the best fighters from cage wars, all the best prospects, everybody was under one banner, like that would be ultimate for me. But it's not going to happen. So I, instead of having Bellator fail and their fighters go, you know, some to the UFC, some this and that, like I want them to succeed. Absolutely. And it doesn't hurt in other sports. It doesn't hurt that the NBA has 99% of the best basketball players on earth or that the NFL has 99% of the best American football players because those guys make plenty of money because they're organized. But yeah. what I, I do like that Bellator and one championship uh, are are strong enough that at least it it does push the salaries a little bit. It gives fighters a little bit of another option. You know, I'm I'm yeah, always absolutely. rooting for fighters to to make as good a living as they can out of this, to get as big a piece of the pie as they can. And in the absence of a union or in the absence of the Ali Act, a competitive market is what helps make that happen. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. It, uh, I'm just saying it's better for fans if they're all under one. Oh, I understand yes. it's better for fighters to have options. I, as in anybody, it's better for anybody to have options. You know, it's why kids, you know, smart students apply to more than one college. That's why, you know, you, you get your resume out to many, many different jobs, whatever. Like, I get it. Mm -hmm. This is a 13-fight card. Uh, those of you who are listening right now hoping for a deep dive into all 13 fights are going to be disappointed because we are concentrating on the main card today. It is a five-fight main card. Uh, it features, obviously, the Featherweight Grand Prix semifinal, which in turn features, again, in my opinion, the greatest Bellator fighter ever in Patricio Pitbull, as, as well as a number of really impressive uh, prospects. I mean, there are... You know, there's uh, two undefeated fighters making their Bellator debuts on, on the main card. There are, you know, people like Neiman Gracie who have one loss and Tyrell Fortune who have one loss. It's a strong main card. We decided not to do the deep dive on the prelims because this is, they're extremely Bellator prelims. You know, there's a good number of, you know, 2-0, and 2-1 and fighters uh, on there. There are some really impressive prospects. There's, you know, Muhammad Burkhamov, uh, Khalid Murtazaliyev, Magomed Magomedov. But those guys are like 10 to 1, 12 to 1, 15 to 1 favorites in their fights. And it, fr frankly, it feels like a bit of a waste of time to break down the X's and O's too hard. I mean, the X's and O's are he's better everywhere than this guy. He should kill him, you know, move on to the next guy and look for a title shot in the next year or two. Yeah, so I, I've been so there's a couple of things about that. Like I, I generally I I agree with what you're saying. I this you mentioned why we don't want to break it down. Also, and, and another reason why is me and you dig into 
you know, 12, 13, 14 fights a week for the UFC. We do a lot of team study. So it's kind of nice to have a smaller <laughs> amount of fights, get a little little bit of a break, uh, even though I'm I'm doing a one championship preview, so I really didn't give myself a break. Um, but there, I think the lines are off in a lot of these fights. And I think that happens a lot in Bellator that um, – and it does happen a lot when one person's a significant bigger name than somebody else. It happens. UFC happens in a lot. Why, you know, someone's such a favorite. I, I think that happens in this one. Um, they're like, I'm intrigued by with any fight that Magomed Magomedov is in. I think he's one of the best. I thought he was one of the best prospects in MMA for a long time. Uh, he's as everyone mentions, he's got a win over Pritchard. I say it every time. I don't think he should. I thought Jan won both of the matchups. But he's going against CJ Hamilton, who was at one time was considered a pretty good prospect himself. He kind of fizzled out a little bit. But it, it's it's not a like whitewashing for him. You mentioned, um, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Khalid Mirza Leoff, Leoff, something like However, The guy who beat up uh, CB Dalloway and well, mur- take- Myrtleized him. So I could just call him Khalid Myrtleizer because he they- Myrtleized him. So, yeah. <laughs> He's he's one zero in the UFC. He had that USADA suspension. Everything he he ended up getting cut. He's going against a guy who's seventeen and one in Fabio Aguilar. That's intriguing. Um, that Mahmoud Burkhamov. That he's a ACB veteran. He's fourteen and one. He's going against Herman Torado, who was in the PFL. So I mean, he's got some high level experience. Chris Gonzalez is undefeated. Uh, he's coming off two good wins, uh, especially against Vladimir Tokov in his last fight, but. Aaron McKenzie's a, a you know solid win before that. Uh, he's, I would say he's taken a step up in name value in the Roger Corta, but you know probably not the best guy he's faced in his recent run. But you know that's still a still the Corta's still a test. Um, Roman Feraldo is undefeated in both pro and amateur. He just destroyed Pat Casey in his last fight. He's taken on Trevor Goody, who is six foot seven welterweight, who beat Kyron Gracie in his last fight, and then another fight. Jordan Newman is a two-time uh, D3 national champion wrestler. He was a D3 wrestler of the year, a senior year. He's looking to go 3-0. and And he's going against a guy by the name of Bronco Busick, who has a fantastic name. Yes. That's that's all I can say. I mean, he, I used to fight at heavyweight, and now he's down to middleweight. But he's got a tough guy name. Yeah. That's that's a hell of a tough guy name for sure. That just sounds like a bouncer's name. It, it, it sounds like like a like a middle linebacker for like the Cleveland Browns in the 1930s. Like, I think that it's probably because there was an actual yeah, like, football Bronco player in the 30s. Jersey. Yeah, Bronco. Yeah, like yeah, so yeah. Bronco just takes you straight there. Just, you know, fits, uh, like or if you were making a movie about that time and like, oh, it's Bronco Busick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, with uh, with that kind of two minute rundown of the prelims out of the way, shall we kick into the main card here? Yeah, unless you want to give a a little thing about the prelims yourself, anything you want to talk about, I I kind of take the realm from you. That's what I was hoping you'd do. Honestly, uh, only thing I'll throw out there is uh, if you look at Muhammad Burkamov, where uh, Bellator is calling him fourteen and one, but you look at Sherdog's record, and we call him thirteen and zero. It is because he appeared on a Russian show that's kind of the equivalent of the Ultimate Fighter, oh, and okay. we tr- we treated his win and his loss on that show as an exhibition, just like we do for all of the tough seasons, except for the live season. So we're saying he's thirteen and zero. I got it from Bell- Bell- Bellator saying. Yeah. So I should have looked at our own yeah. website. That's yeah. the same well, on me. 
Well, and it's it's a it's a matter of uh, it's a matter of dispute. If he wants to say he's fourteen to one, that that's fine with me. Just we we've always treated uh, uh, taped for TV fights as exhibitions, just because the results aren't made known immediately. Like when you fight yeah. on Tough, they they don't find out for a couple months afterwards who won the fight. And that creates problems for like gambling and so forth. And sure, so sure. we just don't treat them as official results. Right. There, that's all I had you to should, contribute. You, sh you should go by 13 and oh, that sounds better than 14 to one. Yeah. Like at least when the UFC used to lie about people's records, they'd lie to make the people look better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when they used to introduce Vernon White and just not count all of his losses in, in Pancras. Yeah. But, hey, you know. Like, like we said, Bellator does it different. As, well, in fairness, that's probably how the UFC should have done it, considering Pancrase, you know, you couldn't punch in the face on the ground. Weird, weird rules. Yeah. <laughs> Just throw it all out. The Bellator 255 main card kicks off with a flyweight matchup between Alejandra Lara and Kana Watanabe. Uh, Watanabe, the 32-year-old Japanese fighter, is 9-0, uh, with one draw, so 9-0-1 overall. This is officially her Bellator promotional debut. However, you have seen her in the Bellator cage before as she fought at the Bellator 237 uh, year-end show in Japan, but was technically a member of the Ryzen uh, roster at the time. At that fight, she defeated uh, Elora Joani by uh, TKO with ground and pound in the third round. And this is her first fight since then. So she's actually been on the shelf a little over a year. Welcoming her to the Bellator cage will be Lara. The 26-year-old Colombian is 9-3 and three overall. She is 3-2 and two in Bellator. She fought most recently on uh, December 20th of 2019, so a little over a year ago herself, taking a unanimous decision over Vida Ortega. Uh Laura is the slight favorite in this one. She's out there around minus 175. Watanabe, uh, plus 145 or so. I'll, I'll go first on this one. Uh, Watanabe is, she's a judoka by background. And to a great extent, fights like it. Uh, she is a physical specimen. Like, she's a, a muscular and powerfully built uh, woman. And... She fights from an orthodox stance, throws a lot of uh, low kicks, is willing to throw her jab out there, but mostly it's all just a way to get her safely into range to get her hands on you and give you a toss. And mercifully, she mostly avoids the headlock throw because she is an actual ju judoka, you know, has some great uh, hip throws, you know, with an overhook, some great trips, uh, and just wants to get on top and mash you. Laura, I think Laura is better than her record looks. Uh, she also fights out of an orthodox stance. She comes from a karate background and kind of presents as a karate-style striker. But really, she wants it on the ground, too. Uh, she's had her best success getting uh, takedowns out of striking ex exchanges. Not just, you know, not shooting a, a purposeful takedown, but just getting a, a trip, getting a body lock, uh, you know, initiating a scramble out of a close quarters exchange. If you ask her, she thinks of herself as a ground and pound specialist above anything else, but uh, good effective ground game. She made her first splash in Bellator by choking out uh, Lena of Chinikova, who is a grappling specialist herself, just as this unknown like 21 year old Colombian 
and, and a huge underdog. Unfortunately for Lara, because Bellator's flyweight division was what it was, that win catapulted her straight into a title shot against Alima Leigh McFarlane. Uh, if you look at Lara's losses in her career, she has an early loss to Sabina Mazzo back when they were both in Colombia and they were like 19 and 20 years old. But her losses in Bellator have been to Alima Leigh McFarlane and Juliana Velasquez, both of whom were, I mean, well, McFarlane was the champion. Velasquez is now the champion. And Laura was actually, she was actually pretty competitive with, with Velasquez. Uh, I think she's still improving. And I think uh, her approach and her physicality, because she is, she's a good sized, very strong, very athletic flyweight. I think they're going to carry her far. I don't think she has peaked yet. Uh, I think she's a big ask for Watanabe. Uh debuting you know sorry officially debuting in bellator because the things that watanabe wants to do play right into what laura does best uh if watanabe comes out with her like little uh dinky like uh calf kicks like laura will make her pay for that if watanabe like crashes the pocket and tries to throw laura she is a much more credentialed and uh you know decorated judoka but that's not a gimme either Laura is like, she's super strong. She's got great balance on her feet and really everyone except for McFarland has had trouble making her uh, go to the ground or do things she doesn't want to there. And, you know, McFarland is, uh, she's, she's a special athlete. I have Laura in this one. Probably. I I don't, I don't see the finish, but I think Laura's going to win a pretty, uh, a pretty one-sided decision where Watanabe can't get it to the ground unless or until Laura wants it there. So she either just gets pieced up on the feet for three rounds or it goes to the ground and as big and strong as Watanabe is, she doesn't like what she gets from Laura down there. Yeah. Um, I think you did an excellent job breaking the skill sets down. I'll, I'll start with Watanabe. Uh, you see me that like, you like her on the standing up, her stand up game better than I do. Uh, I think her stand up is extremely raw I think she's slow. She has low output. I 100% agree that she just strikes to get to the clinch, but I think her strike is ugly. Uh, I think she keeps her chin in the air, no head movement. She lacks power. As you mentioned, she's the judo black belt. She loves trips and throws her. She, I've been, I've been going to judo practice. The uchimata is her go-to move. That's the move that she used against uh, Laura Joanna in our last fight, in, uh, in the first round to get Joanna down. Uh, heavy ground and pound. She does have a good back takes. She has three submission wins in her career, so she is a submission threat. Uh, but because she comes from a judo background, if you remember, you know, obviously the most famous judokan in MMA, especially women's MMA history, is Ronda Rousey. And we always remember Ronda Rousey like transitioning into an armbar so flawlessly. It's but if you remember, she was constantly like throwing hips around. And they look for subs really quick because if you understand judo, when you hit when you hit the canvas, you don't lose points for like missing like you, like in wrestling get reversed. And if you don't, and, and I'm not an expert on judo, I'm, I think I'm correct about this. You don't lose points. And you get uh, so you can go for a submission quickly, but if you don't get a submission in like 15, 20 seconds, they stand you back up. So that's why people are very aggressive once it hits the canvas. She ha- she hasn't got that out of her system. She still will jump for a submission 
if a if an arm is hanging or something that now while obviously that'll get her submissions, it will put her in bad positions. To her credit, she does have good submission defense herself. Uh, Joanna put her in a a tight triangle in her last fight, and she didn't panic. She found her way to get out of it. She does struggle to get off from the bottom because again in judo. You really don't have to get up. You don't have to really force it to get back up. They stand you back up. Very similar to if you watch uh, folk, uh, freestyle wrestling. Freestyle wrestling, there really isn't. Ex- there's no escape points. Or there really isn't a reason to escape. You kind of just control your hips, and then the, after a couple seconds, the referee stands you back up. Now, you mentioned Laura uh, that she's better than her record. Yeah, I agree. That some of her losses early was very young. She looked the best she ever has in her last fight against Vita Ortega. And that's what happens when you're 25, now 26 years old. She's at that age where you expect to make big jumps in improvement. She's a southpaw. She comes from a karate background. So she, you know, throw kicks come from little, little, um, they, they come up very easily. Like high kicks are like a specialty of karate. She's very aggressive, good volume. Fast hands, good at bouncing her head off the center line. As I mentioned, she throws kicks from everywhere. She'll work the body with a kick and then throw one high. Like she likes to set up her high kicks with the body work first. She almost knocked Ortega out in her last fight with a high kick. Though one mistake she does do is she'll be a little too aggressive with the kicks and kind of throw them without setting them up, leaving you know leaving her to a counter. But the also thing about her, she's as I mentioned, she just turned 26. She's starting to just come into her power. We saw that in her last fight. So um, she might be hitting even harder this fight. She also drops her hands a little bit because of that karate style. They kind of like to hang hands. Think about Stephen Thompson, like hanging his hands. And they'll back straight up instead of cutting an angle. Uh, if if it gets in close, she's willing to just grind out against the fence. Or she'll do some damage. She's a pretty good close-distance striker. She can get a takedown, but I wouldn't say she's a great wrestler. As you mentioned, she will want to wrestle, but she's not great at it. But she's um, she'll often like just dive in from distance without really setting it up. But if she gets on top, she does have some solid top control. Uh, she can grind, kind of grind out a victory from on top. Uh, if she gets taken to her back, she's shown some good flexibility, where she'll tack with triangles and gets her legs up really easily. Uh, she does have three submission wins in her career, but she does that play BJJ thing that I, you know, that I hate. Instead of trying to get back up, she'll look for submissions that really aren't there. So as for a prediction, Laura has an incredible advantage on the feet, in my opinion. While Laura has it, you know, grappling background, I still think Watanabe should have a sizable advantage on the ground. So it's really, I'm looking at this as your simple striker versus grappler type match. I, I shouldn't say striker versus grappler, but more they the huge advantages like one will have a huge advantage in striking the other one should have a significant i don't want to say huge but a significant advantage on the ground if Watanabe can get to the ground i think she will win she definitely as you mentioned a physical strength advantage where she could just muscle her to the ground i just don't think she will i don't think she's the athlete um that lara is i think lara is going to use a lot of space i think she's going to pick her apart from the feet i think she's going to work from distance and you know what as slow as Watanabe is in the stand-up, and she makes a lot of mistakes, she keeps that chin high, I think Lara can land that high kick and put her out. And I'm going to say, what the heck? Let's kick off Belto with a bang, and let's throw up a high kick knockout in second round for, for Lara. 
Ooh, there you go. Next up on the Bellator 255 main card, it is Usman Nurmagomedov making his uh, hotly anticipated Major League MMA debut against Mike Hamill. Nurmagomedov, yes, the cousin of former UFC champ Khabib, yes, the nephew of the late uh, Abdulmanap, is... Uh, his age is a bit of a mystery. He's either 22 or 23. Uh, we actually don't have his uh, date of birth, but we can tell that's pretty accurate because there he's been around uh, American Kickboxing Academy since he was a young teenager. He is 11 and 0. He fought most recently at a special Fight Nights Global event uh, in memory of Abdulmanap back in September, knocking out Sviatoslav Shabanov in the second round. Welcome him. Uh, welcoming him to Bellator will be Mike Hamill, the 28-year-old Arizonan, is 7-4 and four overall. He is 0-1 in uh, Bellator, having made a debut against Adam Boric at Featherweight last August and lost via split decision. Odds really, really wide out there for this one. Maybe it's the name. Maybe it's the fact that the hype train has quietly been going for a couple of years now. Maybe it's the fact that he's taking on a kind of middling opponent out of his accustomed weight class. But Nurmagomedov is out there at minus 900. If you like the underdog Hamill, you can get him at plus 600. I'll, I will say I don't know if those odds are necessarily quite in line. But if he were a minus 400 favorite, minus 500, I wouldn't blink. This is a setup. Uh, Usman Nurmagomedov, there are certain associations that come into your mind as soon as you hear that name. You know, you picture, well, the Russian guy with the, you know, foreguard, you know, head and beard cut that will wrestle you into the dirt. Usman Nurmagomedov certainly is that, but if you look at him and line him up next to your Khabib, next to your Islam Makachev, next to your Rustam Habilov, you can tell the difference physically right off the bat. Usman is tall and thin, and while his wrestling game, I, I mean, it looks very Dagestani, his striking is a whole other animal. He, he like I say, he's tall and uh, long and lanky, and he fights that way in a way that, frankly, Khabib doesn't. You know, Khabib, even at his absolute prime, and I think he walked away from the sport at his absolute apex, his striking was always a functional thing to keep you busy long enough for him to throw you on the ground and do terrible things to you. Usman clearly likes to strike. And his striking reminds me, it reminds me of a young John Jones in that he's a guy with a unique physicality and a spectacular set of athletic tools who's, he hasn't, they haven't congealed into a complete striking game yet, but he is just liable to throw any of those weapons out there at any time. In his last uh, win before the uh, the Abdulmanat Memorial Tournament one, it was in Abu Dhabi Warriors. He uh, beat Jer uh, Jerry Kvarnstrom, and he basically knocked him out throwing nothing but kicks. It very much looked like an early John Jones fight in, in, in like, hey, I learned this new kick. I'm just going to go out and throw it 13 times at a guy that cannot stop me until he's dead. Uh, Nurmagomedov, I mean, he, he throws flying knees. He will throw uh, some spinning stuff, loves his kicks. But yeah, his, you know, once he gets his hands on somebody, 
fantastic uh, entries, good uh, double, good single. Uh, we'll definitely do the little leg lace, leg ride against the fence. We'll do the Dagestani handcuff to leave one of his hands free to you know, beat you up or, or set up a choke. And he's facing a guy in Hamill. Hamill looked, he actually looked really tough against Adam Borch. It was a good debut considering, you know, all, all things considered. But nonetheless, he is 0-1 in Bellator. And even at the ne- kind of the next level down, he's 0-3 in LFA. And he's customarily a flyweight or a, a featherweight. He's a wrestler. He wants to wrestle. That's what he's got. Uh, he fights out of southpaw stance. And he does have, he has some nice entries. And specifically when he's fighting an orthodox guy, he'll take advantage to have a nice snatch single on the other fighter's lead leg because his lead hand is, is so close to it. But those are just not things he's going to be able to do to Usman Nurmagomedov. So it's not just that, you know, Hamill isn't quite as skilled or isn't quite as athletic, is much smaller. It's that even the things he does well are just going to be horribly hard sledding against Usman Nurmagomedov. I expect Nurmagomedov will start stinging him up on the feet, probably fight off and a takedown attempt by Hamill, maybe two, with ridiculous ease. And it's just going to start rolling downhill on him. Give me Nurmagomedov by, I'll say, second round, TKO, hurts him on the feet, follows him to the ground. And while he could grab the choke, I'm going to say he finishes this this with strikes. But give me Usman Nurmagomedov to uh, make a big splash in his Bellator debut. All right. So let me ask you this question before I break him down. So you said he's his cousin. Is it like his actual blood cousin or is it because I know they call each other cousins and nephews. And do you do you know if they're actually blood? Relatives? I do not know if like his dad is Abdul yeah. Manap's brother. Okay. I don't know if it's that if it's that close. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that we've had that with other people who use the name to Magomedov. The other thing I know is that you said he's a young John Jones, so he's going to win a major title and then run away from Francis Ngano. That's what you're saying. That, exactly. That's the whole. That, that's the whole <laughs> plot right there. You just you just gave us the big reveal. There you go. I had to, I had to get, get at least give yeah. this thing to John Jones. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nemagomedov. This film study I did. This guy. This dude is good. Um, good output. That's the first thing that jumps out to me. He's a builder in volume, like in his volume where. The first minute he has good output, but the second minute's even better. The third minute's even better, and he just keeps kind of building as he starts finding his traps and finding his range. Similar to a to a Max Holloway. Now, unlike Ben, who's calling this guy the next John Jones, I am not comparing him to Max Holloway. I'm just saying the style is the same. I'm I'm not granting him huge success <laughs> like Ben has thrown on. Ben basically said he's the greatest fighter of all time because that's what he did. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, uh, and the other thing is, is everything's straight. Everything's coming straight down the pipe. He's very technically sound. I love that he uh, varies his attacks both high and low. He'll come up high with a jab down to the body with the right, back up high with a left hook, kick to the body, followed up. Uh, he does make the mistake of pulling his head back, which all fighters do. I shouldn't say all fighters, but a lot of fighters do. Uh, but fast kicks, fast high kick. As you mentioned, calf kick, I saw the same exact fight where he just kept kicking the calf over and over again until his opponent's leg just gave out on him. He loves the question mark kick, but what I love about his question mark kick is that he, he he's a thinker. You can see this about him. 
because he'll set it up. He'll kick to the body, kick to the body, kick to the body. And then the question, the way about the question mark kick works is the knee comes up. So it looks like it's going to the body. And then it just does that. You know, the C is, you know, because your question mark, you come up and then you pull that C around and that's where the leg whips around and hits his head. He hits that. But even more impressive that he hits it is the way he sets it up. Uh, he, you can tell the thing. As you mentioned, obviously, last name to Mark Minov, you know he can wrestle. Great wrestling, great entries, great back ticks. Uh, he also does a lot of upper body stuff. So he'll get inside trips, uh, leg sweeps, good ground and pound. I, I, you mentioned the Dagestani handcuff and that. He's not on Habib's level of, of, of top control yet. I mean, let's be honest. I don't, is anybody in the history of MMA on Habib's level with top control? So he's not on that. Like, I've seen opponents being able to get up with him. Uh, he, he, so he needs to work on that suffocating top control that Habib does. Uh, he also will shoot from really far away sometimes without a setup. Uh, but so does Habib. Like, everyone always remembers the, the, the takedowns Habib get. They, a lot of people forget the... Habib misses a lot of takedowns. Uh, move over to Hamill. The guy fights out of the lab, so he, obviously he trains with a good team. He's a southpaw, and I said I would on breakdowns I would stop mentioning switching stances, and I'm I want to mention him because he switches a lot. And what I like about his the way he switches is he'll switch stance and then immediately attack from that side. So he'll be in a southpaw stance, switch to orthodox, and then leave with a left hook. Or, you know, southpaw, switch to, I'm sorry, um, orthodox, switch to southpaw, lead left, uh, lead right hook now. And I love that technique. That's something when I was coaching, I and when I was fighting, that's something I used to do a lot. I always try to coach people that there's a time where your brain has to switch to kind of, you know, realize that everything's different now. I love that you switch and attack, so they don't really get that chance. So that's something I like. He also is a pressure fighter. Like, he's nonstop on the gas coming at you. He really steps in his shots. His left hook, I would say, is his best strike. But there's a lot of holes defensively. Lacks head movement. Uh, he loads up way too much. He kind of telegraphs his shots. He'll try this flying knee to use his pressure, but he really isn't athletic enough to land it on his opponent's chin. He kind of just, uh, like, the highest he gets up, it's like his opponent's nipples or something like that. That's as <laughs> high as he gets. Uh, good entries on his wrestling, but not a good, great entries. Like he, you can tell he comes from a wrestling background, but this is not a D one level wrestler. He really doesn't drive through his opponent's hips. Uh, if he gets on top though, he's, he's, he's an okay top, top control. Now I'm with you. This is definitely a setup fight. I'm going to give Namagamanoff the win. However, I think the, I do think the line is way off. He shouldn't be negative 900. He's too unproven. This is obviously his first you know, time on the American market. The it's a little different if there was a full crowd, but you know, the lights, the, it's still Bellator, it's still a week at Mohegan Sun and seeing you know, seeing people you recognize all like, oh, there's Pitbull and you know. Um plus Hamill, as you mentioned, he gave Borix a really good fight. I mean, a lot of people think he won that fight. I mean it was a split decision loss. Uh, I was I rewatched the fight I wasn't watching it to score it. I was watching to like I was kind of really just focusing on him, not really focused on Borg. So I really don't remember who I thought won the fight. But he took the fight on short notice. He's a guy who uses pressure. So like, how much could he have pressured even more if he didn't? He moved. You know, it was a weird catch fight, catch weight fight. This one, he's moving up again. He's moving up to one fifty five. But I actually think that helps a pressure fighter. That said, 
Nemagomedov is way too crisp on his feet, way too crisp on the ground. This guy's 22 or 23, as you mentioned, so he's at that age where he could still be making huge. Like we, we haven't seen him in a little while. He could be a completely more advanced fighter. I expect him to piece him up. I expect him to get a late finish. I will say third round TKO because of how tough Hamill is. I think he'll last that long. But of all the like Nemaga, you know, all the fighters with Nemaga made off last name, this is the one that. I, I'm most that I've seen that I'm most excited about. Like he looks, and obviously when I say people with the last name yeah. of Magomedov, I'm obviously not talking about Hibib. I'm talking about all this like those little proteges. Yep. We now move up to the big guys for the only heavyweight fight and one of the two rematches on the main card of Bellator 255. It is Tyrell Fortune. Welcoming back a former opponent in late replacement, Jack May. May steps in for Matt Mitrione, the originally scheduled opponent. Fortune, the 30-year-old, is 9-1 and one with one no contest. Uh, that, entire, uh, that entire career has taken place within the round Bellator cage. He is one of those high-level wrestlers that got a prospect deal with Bellator as soon as he started training, and uh, he's one of the ones that has uh, made the most of the opportunity. May, the 39-year-old, is 11-7 and seven with one no contest in his mixed martial arts career. Uh, that one no contest for both men is their previous meeting. They fought uh, last September at Bellator 245 and barely halfway into the first round, uh, Fortune landed an inadvertent groin strike on May that put an end to the whole thing. May could not recover. Uh, we really didn't get far enough into that fight to you know, see too much. And for that reason, the odds for this rematch are basically exactly the same as the odds for the first fight. Fortune is a huge favorite. He's minus 700, May plus 450 on the comeback. Uh, Tyrell Fortune, high-level wrestler, kind of like I said off the top. He is a two-time junior college national champion and then a Division II national champion. And it shows he's a very effective wrestler, uh, has, a nice, uh, has a nice shot. You know, he'll he'll do a double. He'll do a single leg. He is more than happy to grab a body lock and use his enormous strength to just, you know, trip or chuck a, a guy on onto his ass. I am interested to see what you say about his boxing, because you're, you're much more of an X's and O's guy with the striking than I am. But I see a pretty good boxer like his hands are really fast uh, when he's concentrating. Uh, he throws uh he, he throws pretty sharp, pretty straight punches. He will throw in combination, although I see him either, you know, when he's a little more tired or just things aren't going perfectly his way, he'll, he will go back to throwing single strikes. More of a boxer than a kickboxer. Like, he has some kicks, but uh, when he's in his element, he prefers to throw punching combinations. May? May is not in a great place. I mean, the the, the first fortune fight was a no contest. If you throw that out... He's one and four in his last five fights. That includes getting walloped in the first season of uh, PFL. It uh, includes a loss to a late uh, replacement back in January at uh, XMMA. 
who just, I mean, he, I, th I think he stepped up on less than 24 hours notice. He'd never fought outside of like his really tiny regional scene and basically wrestled May into the dirt. It was, it was embarrassing. Uh, May is 39, uh, or if he's not 39, he's about to be. Okay, no, he's 39. He's going to be 40 in a couple weeks. May just looks so slow and so labored. I mean, he's always been a little bit plodding. He's a six foot eight heavyweight, but even at his prime, he did not have kind of the snap and bounce of, of a Tim Sylvia. And now he's like end stage Tim Sylvia. There is a route to victory there. I, Fortune's one loss was, you know, a southpaw, like a big rangy southpaw. Uh, Timothy Johnson just crushed him with a, a lead right hand. May theoretically has that. He is a big rangy southpaw. He does hit hard. But I can't pick that to happen. Just May's punches are, are his striking is so slow. His uh, response to level changes from uh, from his last opponent, from Kyle Noblet, was so slow. You know, we talked about the Nurmagomedov versus Hamill line and how that's, you know, that that may be a little excessive for such an unknown quantity as as Nurmagomedov and for as proven a tough guy as Hamill. This line is right on. Because not only is Fortune younger, better everywhere, but May just hasn't shown anything to tell me that he can slow down or hurt uh, a fighter of Fortune's quality. Uh, I mean, I expect that Fortune will want to engage in the boxing. He does seem to like to to show uh, show his hands early in a fight. But either as soon as he wants to or as soon as May does touch him, he's going to change levels. He's going to drop May on his butt, and May's not getting back up. Uh, give me Tyrell Fortune by first round, ground and pound. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I understand about the line. I, I agree the line is is set. I'll kind of reverse what I normally do. I'll kind of give my prediction first. I, I like Fortune to win. I mean, I just mentioned that I, the line is there. It's because of the only way May wins. Is, I think there's two ways. He's a heavyweight. He lands one big shot. He can knock him out. And the other thing is if Fortune blows a load. I mean, when heavyweights, he's a big guy. He's, you know, Fortune weighs like 255. That could that could happen. He can gas himself out. But that's really it. Skill-wise, there's no comparison. You mentioned about Fortune striking. We've seen his whole career be in Bellator. He started off as just a wrestler who started adding tools. And while I wouldn't call him a striker yet, he has the athletic ability to win his striking matchup against a less athletic Jack May. Uh, I, I think he uses feints really well. He, he definitely has hand speed, as you mentioned. He's got good power. I mean, look at the guy. He's a huge dude. Uh, he's fought a lot of times in Mohican Sun, and I've covered his lot of his fights. Uh, during this COVID era, I really ha you know, haven't, but he, he's a guy that I've met many times. He's, he shakes your hands, and he's just got big, big hands. He just, he's a big, scary dude. Uh, the one thing he also added to his striking is his thudding leg kicks. When you see, when you hear him kick, it's it's scary. Uh, he's also excellent in dirty boxing. He'll, he's good at like getting that collar tie, blasting you with close inside shots. You mentioned, uh, oh, and then like he'll go down. Besides grabbing the collar tie, what I like about him is he'll come down, uppercut, and then come inside with like a a knee to the gut. Uh, you mentioned his wrestling, as you mentioned. D2 national champion. This is the guy who tried out for the Olympics. He was in the Olympic trials. Like, this guy is that good. Like, just because you're here, D2, don't 
don't think it's a completely different style of wrestling. He he was that good. You mentioned his his double leg. He would drive right through. He also likes a knee tap if you can close it, like grab an underhook and Dominic Cruz style knee tap to the other side. Smothering top control, good hard ground and pound. You mentioned Jack May. Uh, you talked about his last fight getting out wrestled. I, I actually saw that fight too. And he was much bigger than his opponent. And he just kept getting taken down. This guy's one in f- one in four of his last five with that no contest. Terrell Fortune. He even lost in a bare knuckle boxing fight in that time frame. Uh, oh, he is a that. <clears throat> he and he got knocked out in like a minute by uh, Mark Gardbear. Uh, he is a massive heavyweight. Like that's the thing about him. Like he, I think he probably has to cut down to two sixty five. Southpaw, which always gives people some trouble. He does a lot of hand fighting. He likes to grab the hands. And he does it. He'll grab with his lead right hand to throw his straight left, which is really his best punch, which is probably the best strike to knock out Terrell Fortune, which you actually mentioned. Uh, but he throws one strike at a time. I think just he doesn't have the cardio to pick it up more than that. Hard light kicks. He does use his height well on the clinch. Likes to, likes to grab the plum clinch knees, but he's not going to win that area against Tyrell fortune. He's not going to win in close chest to chest or even especially, you know, pressed against a cage or something like that. He has no offensive wrestling. His takedown defense is terrible. He struggles off his back. As you mentioned his last fight in fairness, he did use defense to get up against fortune, but that was like a one-time thing. I seen enough of their first fight to know how this is going to go. Fortune's going to take him down at will Maybe one time, if he gets back up and take him out a second or third time, he I could see Fortune knock him on the feet, but I'm with you. I think he just takes him down, ground and pounds him, gets a stoppage. By I'm I'm going to double down with you. I'm going to say first round TKO from ground and pound, and I'm locking it as my lock of the night. All right, the no, not the main, the co-main event of Bellator 255, a welterweight attraction featuring. Neiman Gracie and Jason, the ass-kicking machine, Jackson. Gracie, the 32-year-old, is 10-1 overall. He is 8-1 since joining the, uh, the organization as the prospect with the uh, famous name. He is taking on Jackson, who is 13-4, 30 years old, 4-1 officially in Bellator. He has also fought for Titan FC fought for LFA. He appeared on the ATT versus Black Zillions season of The Ultimate Fighter that gave us uh, such luminaries as Kamaru Usman and Vicente Luque. Uh, perhaps surprisingly, perhaps not surprisingly, you'll have to tell me whether you're surprised or not, uh, Keith. Uh, Gracie is the slight underdog here. You can get him at even money where Jackson is around minus 125 or minus 130 as uh, the favorite. Uh, let me know if that surprises you at all, and let me know uh, who you think is going to win. Um, name, uh, I'm like, I mean, it's a close line, so I'm not, not like anybody's like a massive favor or anything. Name wise, I would have thought Neiman and Gracie would have been the favorite. Uh, as far as their skills, I, I can get why Jackson's a favorite. And he's he's coming off a big. I think was Ben Henderson his last fight. Yes. Yeah, you meant Ben Henderson was the last fight. So. Uh, Neiman, Neiman's pretty elusive uh, on the feet. He works behind a jab. Not much of a power striker. Like, he's, he doesn't really throw. He, he kind of works, as we talked about with um, Watanabe. He works his striking too close the distance to get to his grappling. 
if you attack me back straight up. He throws a lot of light kicks. That's because, well, one, they're effective, but also he doesn't care if you take him down. He doesn't care if you catch one. He's an elite grappler. He's competed in some of the top Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments there are. He's got incredible back takes, great top pressure. Uh, he will pull, if you can't take it down, he'll pull guard. If you shoot it on him, he won't defend a takedown attempt, or he hardly ever does because he's watching take him to the ground because he's just as comfortable off his back. He's got nine submission wins in his career. He's got a wide variety of submissions, arm bars, ran naked chokes. He's kind of a leg lock specialist. He heel hooks John Fitch. He almost knee barred Rory McDonald. We know how good of a grappler Rory McDonald is. If he's on his back, he can sweep you. He swept John Fitch. He's got for a lot of times what happens with strictly Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, they can't wrestle. They have like what we call jiu-jitsu wrestling, where and and I'm not I have the highest respect for jiu-jitsu, but they don't drill takedowns for the most part. They will start one guy on his knee, the other guy you know, like partially up and they kind of start grabbing. They don't really, really focus on getting takedowns. That's not the case with Neiman. Neiman can wrestle. I mean, he took down Ed Ruth. Ed Ruth is a three-time NCAA champion. Like, I don't know if people, when I say three-time, he's third-time NCAA Division One national. Yep. He was with Penn State. Ed Ruth is one of the greatest college wrestlers ever. Uh, he took down John Fitch, an All-American wrestler. Uh, there was... Gracie is so good on the ground. I just tweeted this out the other day when I was doing film study of him. He had John Fitch on his back, and he was setting. He's trying to like rip apart his arm, like to get an armbar. And one point, he stops, and he actually scratches his head, and then goes back to finishing the armbar. Check out my Twitter. It's and I, I timestamped it where it is. It's absolutely fantastic. Like that's how comfortable he is. They let go of the armbar, scratches his head, and goes back to the armbar. Like he's he's incredible. Now move on to Jason Jackson. Jason Jackson's well rounded. He is he is best when he's leading the fight, though. He's best when he's coming forward. Uh, he does have fast hands. He attacks with combinations, so he has good output. He loves his overhand right, though, and he will he'll throw the overhand right too much. Like he'll kind of, I say Dan Henderson a little bit. If you guys know what I mean by Dan Henderson, well, well, Dan Henderson obviously had that incredible overhand right. He also went to the well too many times. Uh, that's the same thing. I do like that he does attack the body, though. And he does it with some knees up the middle. Like he loves step in knees. He has some solid kicks. He has good power. And you think about his his fight with Ed Ruth. He flattened Ed Ruth a couple times. Uh, he he does throw a lot of like as mentioned with his overhand. Right, he throws it so much that he'll fade late because because he threw so much power. Perfect example of that fight is the Ed Ruth fight. Um, he faded late in the third round. Gave the third round to Ed Ruth, and that's probably why he lost. He's he's a big dude. If I've interviewed him in person, he's he's a very big dude. He's very physically strong. He's a big welterweight. He's good in the clinch. He's a clinch striker. He gets a lot of his takedowns from there, body locks, trip takedowns. Though he has been taken down in the past, he's hard to hold down. He showed a great get-up game when he kept getting when he got taken down by Kunamoto, Kichi Kunamoto in their fight. Though I don't know how good his fight IQ is. Like he he will give up his back to get back up, which you do that against Neiman Gracie, you get submitted. Uh, he is tough to submit though. He has never been submitted in his career. Uh, he also he's been in some slow fits. He's been rocked a lot in his fights. So 
as far as my prediction, I want to I want to put this precursor out there because I'm not I believe I'm not biased. I believe I don't show bias, but I do want to at least address any bias I have. I love the sport of MMA, and I know that MMA came from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, it's a, basically a byproduct of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The Gracie family created Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've I love the Gracie family. I love I just something about them. I love the documentaries about them. Choked or the the Gracies and the in the Rise of Valetude, which is I think is even better documentary than Choked. And you know how people think about Choked. I love looking at the family tree and figuring out who's this cousin and who's that and uncle and like I love that. I think every jujitsu school should have a picture of Helio Gracie, you know, rised up. You know, I just I just love it. And so as far as this, I just want to put that out there before I make my prediction. So as far as prediction, it's a pretty simple prediction. It's it's going to be Jackson wins if he can keep it on the feet. Gracie wins if he can get it to the ground. I'm taking Gracie. If he can get Ruth down and he can get Fitch down, I think he can get Jackson down. Uh, Jackson's tough. He's going to be hard to take down, but I think Gracie will eventually find a way. Even if, like, I don't think Jackson, like, if, if Gracie pulled guard, like, I don't know, would Jackson be able to get out and, and create space. I don't know. But I think Gracie, I mean, he took down another one he, I, I didn't mention. He kept on taking Roy McDonald. He took Roy McDonald a couple of times. He actually mounted Roy McDonald in, in, in their fight. Give me Gracie. I say he gets a submission. I'll say he gets submission second round. And based on the betting line, I'm going to make this my upset special. Yeah, I've sw- I've swung both ways on uh, on Neiman Gracie during the time that he's kind of been on my radar. When I first started to hear about him, just, you know, coming up in Bellator, I definitely undersold him. You know, I looked at him where, I mean, he definitely has some accolades in BJJ, but a relatively, like, short and quiet BJJ career compared to some of the other stars of his generation of Gracies. So I saw that. I saw the fact that he signed with Bellator very early. I saw the fact that he had uh, taken the Gracie name and, Keep in mind, I'm not saying that he's taking anything that's not his. Like he he is every much every bit as much a member of the family by blood as Crone is. It's just that his mom was a Gracie, you know, and his uh, dad was Stambovsky, who was himself <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> Jewish, but and and one so. of the greatest Gracie grapplers of of, of his era. But yeah. but for him to do that, I mean, that's a marketing decision. That's like I'm gonna I'm gonna bust into this and I'm going to play on the Gracie name, which again is half of my family name to to open doors. And I said, okay, this is a guy that's gonna wash out as soon as he hits some hard opposition like this is just you know he's gonna jump in this is like a a a cash grab i it took me until the ruth fight to realize how wrong i was like his his list of jujitsu accolades is relatively short because he's been training for mma for so long and he has specialized his uh jujitsu to be mma effective jujitsu for so long he is truly remarkable on the ground. I mean, I know it was John Fitch's last fight, but still, I missed the head scratch. But even having missed that, both times I've watched that fight, it was just shocking to see someone handle John Fitch that effortlessly on the ground. Because, I mean, that's the last thing to leave you. You don't need your foot speed or your hand speed or your chin anymore to be able to grapple. Like, And John Fitch is one of the best MMA grapplers of his generation, and Gracie just made it look like child's play. I, when I look at a, a prospect, and I mean, Gracie's still a bit of a prospect. You know, he still only has 11 fights under his belt, even though he's 32. You know, there's just so much about him that's unknown quantity. 
I look at, you know, how, how has he lost in the past or how have people given him a hard time in the past? And the way he lost to Rory McDonald's is not something that Jason Jackson is going to be able to duplicate. McDonald won, you know, just he's a, a crisper striker on, on the feet, you know, kept him on the end of his jab, used his kicks. And when they went to the ground, McDonald never panicked. He hung out for long periods of time on the ground with Gracie and was never in, in serious trouble. That's that's not something I think Jackson can do. I'm I'm with you in that I think Jackson is a is a very good fighter and he's kind of a little bit of a late bloomer who's just coming into his own. Like it's crazy that he was on the same season of tough as Kamaru Usman and Vicente Luque, and he just kind of went out into the wilderness while they went into the UFC and just started rocketing up the rankings. But this is a bad matchup for him. Uh all of his fights involve him getting touched up on the feet. And like you say, he has ways to survive on the ground, but they're not things that are going to serve him well against Gracie. On top of everything, Gracie's got a good gas tank. Like the one round that he indisputably won against Rory McDonald was the last round. Uh, because of that, I think this also favors Gracie the deeper it goes against a big guy like Jackson, as you mentioned. Uh, give me Gracie by submission. Give me uh, Gracie by submission. I'm going to say in the third round, maybe just Jackson starts to lose that top gear just a little bit. It goes to the ground, and yeah, Gracie takes his back and chokes him out and makes it look elementary in doing so. Can I can I jump in real quick before of we course. move on? We only have the main event left. But as I mentioned the Gracie's, can I say something that I think is is fairly controversial when we talk about Neiman? Not counting the guys pre UFC one, not counting Helio and and Carlson and, and the stories of holes. You kind of have you have Hoist Gracie is the greatest, most accomplished in MMA. He's he's the legendary name. He's the UFC one champion. Hickson has the reputation as the baddest one, undefeated, and you know, uh, Hajer or Hoyler, but probably Hajer is uh, the greatest grappler. Um, it's down to Neiman or Henzo who has really faced the best ones. And I would probably still say Henzo, especially like, you know, Tuktorov and Shamrock and all this stuff. But Neiman's next. Like, Neiman has faced better fighters than than Hoist Gracie has. He's faced better fighters than, like, everyone else in the family. Like, he doesn't have that same regard to him as he should. But he really, like, his name needs to, like, rise in the Gracies because... In this generation, no one else has carried the mantle like him. And I think he needs to get more credit. I completely agree. Uh, And I I like how you kind of split them up there because, yeah, Hoist is the greatest Gracie in MMA because of his influence, because of, you know, just what he did for the sport. But no, he's not the best Gracie in MMA. It's always been Henzo. And Neyman is really the first one to even, even approach. And yeah, I would agree that he is close to passing. Yeah. You know, even when you look at, at Henzo and Henzo was the one out of all of them who really fought the best fighters of the day. You know, like when he, when sure. Henzo was over in Japan, he was fighting the, the best dudes. It wasn't like Hickson versus Takata. It was like, you know, Henzo yeah. versus Sakuraba. He uh, was the first to trans, you know, really transition in the other styles of fighting into it. He, he was probably the better wrestler. He was a good striker. Like he, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just a, a better athlete for MMA. He just 
you know. But uh, Neiman is fighting at a at that same level, but it's it's advanced. We're talking twenty years later, mm-hmm. uh, where there's better comp- you know, overall competition. I I think Neiman should get a lot more credit than he does. And honestly, I said I I kind of go back and forth on Neiman, where I underestimated him. You know, until the Ruth fight, and then had to admit, okay, I've been wrong. This guy is serious. Uh, by this point, I would have expected him to have passed Henzo, but he's become a one fight a year fighter. Like he's thirty two. I, I wish he had about three more fights right now. I hope this marks the beginning of you know him getting busy again. Maybe. Well, I was going to say maybe Bellator needs to have a Walter White Grand Prix again, but no, don't do that because that's just. That that threw this whole division into a freeze for like three years. So don't do that. Just uh, get the man some more fights. That brings us to the main event, the main attraction, the second and final semifinal of the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix as defending champion and current two-division champion Patricio Pitbull Freire takes on Emmanuel Sanchez for the second time. Pitbull, the 33-year-old Brazilian, is 31 and 4 overall. He is 19 and 4 since joining uh, Bellator. He is the winningest fighter in promotional history. He is on a six fight winning streak. Uh, as I stated before, he is the holder of the Bellator featherweight as well as lightweight titles. He is uh, he's been making noises about relinquishing the lightweight title, especially if his uh, brother, you know, is, is granted a, a title shot. But nonetheless, as of the time of this recording, he is Bellator's only active two-division champion. He will be taking on Sanchez, the 30-year-old uh, Rufus Sport product fighting out of Milwaukee, is 20-4 and four overall. He is 12-3 and three in Bellator. Uh he and uh, he and Freire fought at Bellator 209 back in November of 2018. A fight uh, that went all five rounds was quite competitive and extremely entertaining, and lost a unanimous decision. Both men are three and zero since then. Both men advanced through the first two rounds of this Grand Prix, and here they meet once again uh, for well, not for all the marbles, but for a chance to fight for all the marbles. That's at least in the case of Pitbull. If Sanchez wins tonight, he is the lineal uh, featherweight champ for at least a couple months until he fights McKee. Uh, As Bellator has started to do over the last couple of years, defending champs titles are on the line in every round of a Grand Prix. So you don't end up with like some of those embarrassing pride type situations where, you know, sitting champs like lost in uh, in the middle of tournaments. Uh, Pitbull, perhaps reflecting his stellar uh run recently perhaps reflecting the result of their first fight is a comfortable favorite here he is minus 250 you can get sanchez at plus 200 on the comeback keith uh tell me how you see this fight playing out uh and who you have winning well this is a fantastic fight i think the rest of the featherweight tournament is fantastic no matter who wins and faces aj mckee you know i i think Pitbull make it to the finals would be a little more marketable being, you know, the greatest fighter in belt or history. But Sanchez is a really good fighter that's been kind of the dark horse of this entire tournament. Now, Pitbull, I was looking this up. This is his 21st fight that is either a title fight or a tournament matchup, which means he's been under very high pressure situations 
a lot of times. Uh, he is a pressure striker himself. He's a pressure counter striker. He's got power in both of his hands. He can knock you out with either hand. He does really good to kind of sit back and then suddenly explode, spring forward with a series of power hooks. Chop your legs out with leg kicks. Uh, in his fight against Sanchez the first time, he, he he showed his wrestling skills, kept taking Sanchez down with inside trips. Great top control. He showed that against uh, Danny Weichel in their fight, against Juan Archuleta in their fight. He is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Guillotine choke on the feet is kind of his go-to submission. He does struggle off his back if you can take him down and keep him down. Uh, much easier said than done. His he's also been in a lot of wars and he's got he's taken a lot of damage over the year. His chin has been checked several times. Now you move over to Sanchez. Sanchez is he doesn't have the power that Pitbull has, even though he's a very big featherweight himself. Uh, and and Pitbull really isn't big. He's you know, he's short, but he's he's very stocky, but he's short. Sanchez is is he's big, both uh, muscle wise and and he's taller. He is a he's a volume striker with endless pressure, just constantly stalks his prey with a uh, high amount of uh, strikes coming at you. He fights behind. He has a classic high guard. Does well to bounce his head off the center line. Uh, if he gets to the pocket, he will unload combinations. We saw that in his last fight against Daniel Weichel. His straight right hand is his best punch, though. As I mentioned before, he doesn't have that pit bull one hit or quitter type power throws kicks everywhere. He can check your chin, attack your legs, kick the body, just a lot of kicks into his game. I would say he's an underrated offensive wrestler. He can get the fight to the ground though. He's a weak defensive wrestler. I would say that's his biggest weakness in his game. He is a Brazilian just do black belt himself too. Uh, he can get submissions off his back. He didn't in the open round of this tournament against Taiwan Claxton, which seems like forever ago when you really think about, you know, with a <laughs> year-long pandemic in between. Uh, but the biggest thing about him is his insane cardio. He's going to be going hard. If this fight goes all five rounds, he's going to be going hard in the fifth round as it, it's, it's hard as it does in the first round. You mentioned the line. I think the line is way off. I think this fight should be extremely close on uh, in the betting lines. People forget how close their first fight was. Sanchez gave Pitbull a really good fight. He won like one or two rounds in that fight. Like it was very close. Uh, and also, he's never looked better than he did in his last fight against Daniel Weichel. If he can turn up the volume and his chin uh, can hold up to the power of Pitbull, it wouldn't surprise me if he just outworks him and wins a decision. Uh, I'm, I may even stop him with the volume, but probably wins a decision. However, I'm still going to go with Pitbull. He he has the power to just be the ultimate equalizer. He can end a fight with one punch at any time. He's been so hot. I mean, like what he did to Kavala, go back to what he did to Chandler. Um, the way he, I mean, he didn't knock him out, but he just easily picked apart. Juan Acheleta. And the other big, the biggest reason why I'm going to go with Pitbull, and it kind of goes off what we were talking about last week, Sanchez hasn't shown me anything that he can stop the takedown, which is what Pitbull did to him last time. And he also doesn't look to get up. He spent a lot of time in that fight on his back in a very close fight that if he worked to his feet, maybe he wins. 
he got taken down by Claxton. I think he lost the first round or was very close to losing the first round against Claxton in their fight. I haven't seen him fix that. So until he does, I'm going to take Pitbull again. So give me Pitbull by decision with the better wrestling and the better BJJ. Outstanding. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this one ever since I knew that this was going to be the next fight. Because my initial memory of their first fight, which, you know, it was back in uh, November of 2018. So I hadn't seen it or really thought much about it in, in a while. So, but my, my kind of memory that was plugged in there was that, yeah, it was a pretty competitive fight, but ever, like it, it wasn't as competitive as the scores made it look. Cause there were two 48, 47s and a 48, 46 and just my, my memory. And I'm not saying it, it was correct. Cause I'm going to get to that in a minute was, you know, for a fight that was three rounds to two, basically it wasn't, it didn't feel as close as that makes it sound. And, things kind of a lot of things that that didn't need to kind of broke uh sanchez's way that might not in a rematch because you know uh sanchez's best moment of the fight was when he uh hurt uh he hurt pitbull pretty bad in the first round plus you know he landed uh you know two pretty decent low blows in the first two rounds so my thought was you know what that kind of uh, changed the whole track of the fight as far as uh, Pitbull's mindset. You know, he'd taken his worst damage. He'd taken a couple of cup shots that A, they hurt. B, they, you know, stopped the action. Uh, and even so, nonetheless, I thought there was only one round that Sanchez absolutely indisputably won. And despite Sanchez's, you know, uh, outstanding pace and cardio, a uh, pitbull won the fifth round and he took him down a bunch of times in the fifth round to make sure he, he sealed it. I said, you know, this was a champ, you know, turning away a, a really good challenger on that, on that challenger's best night. And so my thought always was a rematch would be even more lopsided for pitbull. But I've, I started to swing back the other way just because Sanchez has looked so good in the three fights since then. It, he hasn't brought any like, magic new weapons out it's not like he's suddenly throwing a question mark kick or he's suddenly doing like you know imanari rolls it's all of his same tools that he's had since the beginning i mean he's been a duke rufus guy as long as just about anybody but he's just really brought them together uh in a way he never had before at age 30 he's probably just coming right into his prime as a featherweight just in terms of the combination of experience speed cardio strength all that he is i think he is now the best emmanuel sanchez that there's ever been. And it is just unfortunate that he's running into a pit bull who's probably still in his prime at 33. Uh, I'm predicting a fight that actually looks a little bit like the first one, like maybe not the same cup shots, but uh, you know, Sanchez might win a couple rounds on volume on the feet. If, if Pitbull, you know, isn't landing the power shots that he needs in order to really do damage and win rounds on the feet, uh, Sanchez takes a couple of rounds that way but Pitbull hurts him at least a couple times and Pitbull seals the later round or rounds with opportunistic takedowns and Sanchez just makes the poor choice to camp out on the bottom and then lose rounds. Uh, give me Pitbull in another really good fight by decision. Assuming we're correct, bonus question. Prediction off the top of your head, Pitbull versus McKee. McKee. Just off the top of your head, 30 seconds. McKee. I don't know if I'm with you, but I'm really close. I, I I think at the very least, I think McKee will be the the best fighter that Pitbull has fought 
just at the point in their careers at which they're meeting. Like Chandler's a greater fighter, but McKee might be a better fighter when they meet than anyone Pitbull has fought. I, I love that you put me on the spot and then didn't make a decision yourself. You're like, hey, without any film study, make hey, a pick. That's why I asked you. you. didn't make a pick yourself. If, if, hey, if I had an idea, I, I, I would have volunteered at first. I asked you because I didn't know. <laughs> I, 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 I will say this. I will leave it open to change my pick. But when I previewed this thing, <laughs> it seems like forever ago when I did the preview of all the fighters, AJ was the one that I was just like, wow, man, this guy gets better and better every fight. And it seems like he's continuing that trend. And also, if Pitbull wins, like Bellator couldn't have asked for a better final. Like this was before I started saying, give me the two fighters in the finals you want. Here you go. Yep. And, and, they, and they gambled it when they, they let their people pick where they wanted to be in the bracket. Like they could have picked each other in the quarterfinals or, you know, they both picked the opposite side of the bracket. Like everything worked out. No, the well, the bracket was the I, bracket well, was actually great. Yeah, I mean Sanchez might change it, but yeah, if, he, if but he wins, this was even the perfect place to have Pitbull and Sanchez. You know, yeah. like put the guy that had given him the toughest fight of anyone that he's fought in this bracket in the same bracket, but not to meet until the semifinals. Like it's been storybook. Anyway, we managed to to talk almost as long about five fights as we sometimes do about 12 or 13, because that is just how the Shillin and Duffy show rolls. That is our official preview for Bellator 255, Pitbull versus Sanchez 2. That takes place this Friday on Showtime. Look at the SureDog front page uh, for the How to Watch Bellator 255 article if you know you want any guidance as to how you can get these fights into your eyeballs. Uh, enjoy the fights. Uh, and look out for the Sherlin and Duffy show next week. 